Good morning, everyone. I hope you are doing well today. It's been two weeks since I've been able to go live. I took a two-week break and kind of re-caught myself up to this point in the book of The Pilgrim's Progress. If you are reading along, uh, you'll notice each of these stories really can stand alone on their own two feet. Uh, they're scriptural truths, and while the story is a is a consecutive, um, I don't know if consecutive is the right word, but it, it's a chronological uh, narrative, obviously. Um, the chronological side of things it, it is important, I believe, but not nearly as important as each of these truths um, stand alone. I think you could open at any point of this book, uh, go through a one of the instances or scenarios that Christian went through, and and find a, a very important lesson. So we'll be going back. I just wanted to read one of the last uh, notes from the author here, and and then jump back into the story. He uh, he says here, with great we read in the scriptures with great power the apostles witnessed of the resurrection of Jesus. Why was it? Because great grace was upon them all. And we find that in Acts uh, 4.33. So you see, all is of grace from first to last in salvation. If we do great things for Christ, yet not unto us, but unto the great grace of our Lord, be all the glory. You know, the, the tendency is to see each other differently, to think that maybe this person is... Uh, has maybe more than I do in the faith, or, or less, or whatever it might be. And what I love about uh, Bunyan, and as he goes through this subject of grace throughout Scripture, he reminds us that the difference between you and I, the difference between you and anyone else, is grace. If there's anything good that happens in your life, if you do anything for Christ, the, the apostles, you know, what, what made the apostles different than us necessarily what were they why were they able to go forward with great power well because great grace was upon them all and this mentality of going on on a spiritual journey and not consistently looking at everyone around you but continuing to just look at yourself and as you notice people around you and and tr attempt to learn lessons from from the lives of the people around you, uh, the lessons that we continue to glean from from scripture and from teaching uh, that we find here, like in uh, the Pilgrim's Progress, is to for introspection to con to continue looking at ourselves and 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 not think too highly of ourselves. I love the fact that any time as I'm reading, I'm thinking, oh, I've got I've got this thing down um, that he's teaching. And he reminds you, hey. If if you have if you think you have this or maybe you do maybe you are someone who doesn't struggle uh, with this as maybe somebody else as much as somebody else does well that why is that well it's only because that only because God has you that grace and it it has nothing to do with who you are but who He is and to God be the glory uh, at this point we're picking back up on a conversation between. Pilgrim, and I mean, so the, these are two pilgrims. Uh, one of them is named Christian, and one.
There we go. So he, he's explaining the difference between great grace, little, little faith, and, and someone who has no faith. Someone like Esau that we find in Scripture who, who, who seemed like he had good desires at some point, but the theme of his life was uh, carnal desires and, and really no faith. And, and God decided to, to harden his heart and, and use him for other purposes. Not that God can't use someone, uh, he, like he, he, but he used Esau like he used Pharaoh and like he used many people. And we pray that he doesn't use us this way, but he can and he will if he needs to. And so we're talking about the people of, of great grace at this point, and, he, and he's saying... You know, the people of great grace, people like David, uh, Heman, Hezekiah, people in Scripture like Peter, who were, were people that we considered, we would consider uh, men of the faith, great faith, they, they struggled as well. But the, the differences that you saw, excuse me, I have some bad allergies this morning, so if I, I'm going to have to... <coughs> Have to sneeze every once in a while. Um, he, he's explaining what is what it is about these people that make them different. He says these people they've struggled with with guilt, with doubt before, but they realize that their king, he says, is at their whistle. He is never out of hearing. If at any time they be put to the worst, he, if possible, comes in to help them. And of him it is said, the sword of him that layeth at him cannot hold the spear, the dart, nor the habergeon. He is esteem he esteemeth iron as straw, and brass as rotten wood. The iron cannot make him fly. Sling stones are turned with him into stubble. Darts are counted as stubble. He laugheth at the shaking of a spear. This is uh, this is making some references to to Job, actually in Job chapter sixty one and twenty six. So if if you are listening along or if you haven't been watching this before, one of the things that I've been doing as we go through this book is stopping at each of the scripture references that are made. So the edition that I that I'm going through uh, doesn't have all of the scripture references, but it has a lot. So I'm trying to stop at those and better understand, um, better understand where where this where he's talking about uh, this in scripture, and then just understanding uh, maybe some scriptures better that I that I didn't uh, see in that light before. I know that's been the case for me uh, for many scriptures so far. So Job sixty one in verse twenty six. And we're uh, almost there. 61. There's no 61. What does this say? 41. Man, Roman numerals get me every time. There we go. So he's talking about Leviathan here. So. He must, so we're not talking about. there. The king that uh, he's referring to here is the king of these people. Well, in his, this, so here we go, in his story, in his example here, he's saying that the people that, the characters of, 
of faint heart, mistrust, and guilt um, have battled against David and Heman and Hezekiah and Peter, okay, and um, have tried everything they could to take down these people, to take down these people of faith. And when they couldn't take them down, they called their king. So not, so there we go. I'm understanding a little bit better now. So when so this king that they that they call is this one that um, is is called the great dragon and is and is described as Leviathan and, and Job. And I don't know if you've ever thought of that, but um, I think that's been the conclusion of quite a few people is that the Leviathan mentioned in, in Job is also the great dragon, uh, Satan. Um, great in his in his own sense necessarily, but nothing against God, but great against men. Uh, he says, what can a man do in this case? It is true, if a man could at every turn have Job's horse and had skill and courage to ride him, he might do notable things. Uh, for his neck is clothed with thunder. He will not be afraid as the grasshopper. The glory of his nostrils is terrible. He paweth in the valley and rejoiceth in his strength. He goeth on to meet the armed men. He mocketh at fear and is not affrighted. Neither turneth he back from the sword. The quiver ratteth, rattleth against him, the glittering spear and the shield. He swalloweth the ground with fierceness and rage. Neither believeth he that it is the sound of the trumpet. He saith among the trumpets, Ha, ha. And he smelleth the battle afar off, the thunder of the captains and the shouting. This is the horse described in Job chapter 39. Uh, where God says, God is speaking to Job and he's saying, do you, do you know who I am and do you know what I've created? And he talks about this horse. He talks about the horse that he created. Hast thou given the horse strength? Hast thou clothed his neck with thunder? Canst thou make his make him afraid as a grasshopper? The glory of his nostrils is terrible. And he says, "This is the horse uh, that that Job had." He says, "But for such footmen as thee and I are, he's like we're not like Job. Let us never desire to meet with this enemy, nor vaunt as if we could do better, when we hear of others that have been foiled." nor be tickled at the thoughts of our own manhood. For such commonly come by the worst when tried. That is so true. Witness Peter, of whom I have made mention before, he would swagger. He, I, he would, as his vain mind prompted him to say, do better and stand more for his master than all men. But who so foiled and run down by those villains as he? We have a note from the author. He says, from this sweet and edifying conversation, learn not to think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but think soberly according to the measure of faith which God has dealt to you. That's a quote straight from Romans chapter 12 and verse 3. It is, he says, now it is the very essence of faith to lead us out of all self-confidence and vain boasting. We know not how soon faint heart, mistrust, and guilt may spring upon us, uh, spring up in us, set upon us, and rob us of our comforts and spoil us of our joys. It's something that Job went through. It's something that 
Peter went through people that, you know, I would, I think we'd all agree we we'd be making a mistake to compare ourselves to them. And like, well, and, and but we do that all the time. We think, well, I'd I'd never, I I wouldn't do that. I could handle that. And to the point to where maybe even like Peter, were like, ah, oh, bring it on. I'll show you. And the moment it comes along, we show that no, we're just like uh, God says we are. And it's it's not that it's not that we think more highly of Job. It's that we look at someone like Job, we look at someone like Peter, and then we look at ourselves and realize, I mean, we should not think too highly of ourselves. Uh, you might be doing well, well spiritually right now, but uh, it just it doesn't take much for these things of uh, guilt, mistrust, and doubt. Uh, faint-heartedness to creep into our lives. Uh, when we therefore, when therefore we hear that such robberies are done on the king's highway, two things become us to do: first, to go out harnessed, and to be sure to take a shield with us, for it was for want of that that he who laid so lustily at Leviathan could not make him yield. Oh yeah, that's that's right. Um, Leviathan is also called Apollyon in Scripture as well, but it's the same um, battle that Christian had had here uh, very earlier on in his uh, journey. He said, For indeed, if that be wanting, he fears us not at all. We don't have our shield with us. We're not girt about with, uh, with truth. He says, Therefore, he that had skill hath said, Above all, take the shield of faith, wherewith he shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. That's Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 16. It is good also that we desire of the king a convoy, yea, that he will go with us himself. This may David rejoice when in the valley of the shadow of death. And Moses was rather for dying where he stood than to go one step without his God. Oh my brother, if he will go along with if he will but go along with us, what need we be afraid of ten thousand that shall set themselves against us? But without him the proud helpers fall under the slain. There was a there's a few verses there. Exodus thirty uh three verse fifteen. Uh, he's not making a direct quote there, so I'll go ahead and run uh, jump to that scripture quickly. Uh, Exodus 33. I've been listening to Leviticus here recently. Kind of in a new light. Uh, he, Exodus at 33.15. And he says, and he's, he said, my, my presence shall go with thee and I will give thee rest. And he said unto him, Moses saying to God, if thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. And may that be our, may that be our, our spirit that we do not go on this journey alone. And then we also had a reference to Psalms chapter 3. Psalms chapter 3 and uh, 5 through 8. Psalms 3, 5 through 8. And then I'll, I'll, we're kind of approaching the end of this discussion here, so we'll call it, a, call it at that. Uh, Psalms chapter 5. In verse 8, uh, 3, 5 through 8. You'll have to forgive me these. Psalms sometimes are not easy to get to. 
uh, it says, I laid me down and slept. He said, but thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory and the lifter up of mine head. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill. Selah. He, I laid me down and I slept, and I wakened for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people that have set themselves against me round about. Wow. This is not something that we just arrive at. We don't always have this attitude, but it's something that we should we should observe this um, attitude from David and, and different people throughout Scripture and uh, the desire that God would give us that type of confidence and strength. It says, I, for my part, have been in the fray before now, and though through the goodness of him that is best, I am, as you see, alive, yet I cannot bo- boast of my manhood. Glad shall I be if I meet with no more such brunts, though I fear we are not got beyond all danger. However, since the lion and the bear have not yet as devoured me, I hope God will also deliver us from the next uncircumcised Philistine. Then St. Christian, poor little faith, hast hast been among the thieves, wast robbed? Remember this, whoso believes... And get more and get more faith, then shall you victors over ten thousand, else scarce over three. This is the uh this is just the he kind of this is kind of how uh each story kind of ends with this little song or poem that Christian sings. And you know, I was discussing this with someone yesterday, you know, this idea of little faith and being great faith. And and while little faith, it, it's something that we look at and, and we'd like to to identify with sometimes. It's some it's not something that we should go, Oh yeah, that's me, I, I'm of little faith. No, this this place of little faith, while it is possible, it's not something that we should consider a uh, an okay place to be. I would wager that the person of little faith is not thinking about that so much as he has just uh, lost his hope and his joy. And and his desire must be that God would give him more faith, just as it was of the man in Scripture who said, um, he said, <laughs> what, did, what did he say? He's like, help thou mine unbelief. Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. May that be our request to him. So at this point, uh, they go on. And so they it's not just um, Christian and hopeful now in the story. If you can just picture there's Christian, hopeful, and also this person of ignorance. His name is Ignorance. And so this is kind of where some of this um, conversation is coming from. And there's one more note here from the author, and then we'll be through. He says, after the... Uh, he says, would, would to God that we would be a, like David and Moses who who said, I, I would rather not go forward without him um, and be like David in that we, one, we rejoice in the valley, rejoice when in the valley of the shadow of death, and we, we speak with boldness as he did in, in chapter 3 of Psalms that, you know, we wouldn't be afraid of 10,000 that uh, set themselves against us. He says, how contrary, he says, but how contrary to this is the walk and conduct of some who profess 
to be pilgrims, and yet can willfully and deliberately go upon the devil's ground and indulge themselves in carnal pleasures and sinful diversions. Such evidently declare in plain language that they desire not the presence of God, but that he should depart from them. But a day will come which will bring on terrible, terrible reflections of mind for such things. And this is a, this is just a heavy, heavy admonition here as, as we end this. He says, there's so many people who profess to be pilgrims, profess to be one way, yet they willingly and deliberately go upon the devil's grounds. And by doing so, simply say to the presence of God, no, I don't need you and I don't want you here. You can say you want the presence of God, but if you willfully and deliberately go on the go upon the devil's ground, as he puts it here, and indulge uh, willfully and deliberately indulge in carnal pleasures and sinful diversions, as he calls it, uh, this is um, this is the plain language that you speak. It, it doesn't really matter what you say with your words. It doesn't matter what you say with your um, religious activities. Uh, when you willfully and deliberately enter into sin, you're basically saying, I don't really want the presence of God. I don't want the presence. I don't desire it. Because if I desire the presence of God, I, I wouldn't be doing this. Um, and this is something that I think, I know in my life, um, I'm seeing more and more the 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 harsh simplicity, you know, I, like I'd, I'd love to make this as com more complicated and, and people like to, you know, I have lots of conversations where people like to make this very complicated and say, well, you know, uh, this th sin can come back and this and blah, blah, blah. And it's it basically it's justification for for sin in, in, in someone's life. And not that they're isn't ever no sin in someone's life. But the the difference is that your will, your desires, as a true pilgrim, have been changed. And to willfully sin, to, to enter into sin with, to premeditate and think, this is what I'm going to do to sin, whew, we are in a dangerous place. Uh, it's time, if, if God has given you grace to get to the point where you can even think of that, like, I know he's done for me. Uh, it's time to stop and fall on your face before God. Thank him for allowing you to even come to this point without uh, him striking you down like we deserve. And, and, and repent and, and believe him. Because if not, he reminds us there's coming a day when you're going to remember those decisions. You're going to remember exactly what you did to say, no, I, I really don't want the presence of God. And God has very plainly says, I don't let that stuff in my presence. I don't. Um, and so before we say, oh, well, you know, God is, is a forgiving God and just God is a merciful God. Yes, he is. He is. But... Uh, it is possible to crucify his son again um, in our lives. And, and that puts us in a, in a very dangerous place 
that we need to consider. It's, it's very possible for all of us. All right, well, on that note, I don't do, th- obviously, I don't do this to uh, be, um, to be specifically encouraging, <laughs> like just on lighter notes. I mean, I'm just going through the book uh, along with you, learning, and I'm telling you, this is, this is a live, not only is it a live reading of the book, but, I mean, the, the truths are <laughs> actively being applied in my own life. And so, please know that, uh, you know, there's, there's nobody and no one that can ever or should ever arrive, if you will. We don't arrive until we've arrived at the pearly gates. Until then, the, the journey continues. And, and may God find us actively serving. If he, com- if he comes back today, I hope he does. Uh, but <laughs> hey, Terry, for, for many of us, uh, give us, give us a little bit of space so that we can turn back to him and trust him. If you haven't, please do that. It, it's, uh, it's something we should consider that could happen today. Alrighty, well, on that note, I will see you guys, Lord willing, tomorrow. It's good to be back in the saddle again. <laughs>